Hello and welcome to the Infinity Bros Podcast, the only podcast that is perfectly balanced as all things should be. Today I have a very special episode for you guys, um, a little off of what we normally do, but if you're familiar with our Time Stone episodes or our Reality Stone episodes, uh, this is something that you guys will be looking forward to here. So um, without further ado, I have two special guests today if they would like to introduce themselves. Uh, why don't we start with Barney? Hi, I'm Barney Menzies and I am the project lead for Shiver. Hello, and I'm Charlie Menzies, and I'm the lead designer for Shiver. All right, so if you guys haven't guessed it by now, um, we're going to be talking about the uh, Shiver RPG system, which is on Kickstarter right now. Um, I could take a million years gushing about this in the in the uh, introduction here, but why don't we get into the questions, and uh, we'll talk about it together. So my first question is, uh, what inspired you guys and the team to make this? I would say really where this came from is two places really. We both have a really strong love of cinema and B-movies. We grew up as kids watching a lot of movies we probably shouldn't have watched at that age, like watching Predator when we were like 10, that kind of thing. Um, And we just had a love for that really strong genre cinema. And then when I started playing RPGs myself with my friends, I started to realise that I was always trying to replicate those cinematic experiences on the tabletop um, and just trying to kind of create these wild movie type adventures but was finding systems were blockading that experience in certain ways whether that was kind of numerical dice or or kind of other issues and players if I was running the game struggling to kind of get on board or being intimidated by mechanics so that's really what inspired us to kind of start making the move to get bring this to the tabletop was to bring those cinematic experiences um, to life in a way that was accessible for everybody for anyone who wants to try a tabletop rpg at least from the bit that we've seen with the kickstarter and then everything on the quick start guide that you guys have you guys have really knocked that out of the park in making this very uh genre agnostic right where you can take any of your favorite b movies and any of the different genres and plug it into a system that works for that um, uh, we'll talk about that more down the line, but I wanted to talk about specifically the art. You guys, looking at the Kickstarter page and then the Quick Start uh, guide, it feels very like Hellboy, BPRD. Um, it's it's a style that we're familiar with that looks absolutely gorgeous. Was that any sort of inspiration, or just did it happen to be uh, coincidental? Yeah, so absolutely. Like Mike Mignola was a huge, like big name on our on our mood boards when we were looking at designing the overall aesthetic of Shiver. We wanted to put a sort of art style together that really represented um, the things you can do in horror and the sort of broad church of genres it brings together. Um, and so like a really graphic style that leaves a little bit to the imagination, but still has like that visual impact. Um, we thought played best with those kind of stories um so we would we took inspiration from as you say like hellboy and bprd and mike mignola's work but also from other areas like old movie posters 80s metal band logos darkest dungeon there's yeah, loads of bits and bobs that we've kind of grabbed from and been like man there's so much cool stuff the classic horror comics as well like the creep show comics and things definitely played a factor with the very kind of bold coloring and sharp shadows Um, it's just we wanted to leave enough room for um, people to have a little bit of room for imagination to project their own horrors onto what we were putting in front of them. Yeah, you guys definitely achieved that. And I think the way that the art plays with light and shadow in an interesting way there too kind of builds that suspense and makes it feel like 
you are in one of those, you know, B movie, uh, horror movies. Um, there tends to be two different types of rule sets for RPGs. You know, there's the things like D and D and Pathfinder and games like that, where it's very deep thematics and rigid rule sets, right? Like there's not, obviously people add supplements to things like D and D where you can play space operas or what have you, but really they kind of sit where they're at. And then on the other side, there's things like fate core, right? Which is so absolutely open-ended um, that somebody like me, I kind of get bogged down in choices and how to go about that. This feels, at least um, from the bit that I've seen, to really find that sort of Goldilocks spot where you guys have the ability to be flexible in the genres that you're playing, and the rule set supports that in a way where it's not so open-ended that uh, you really kind of get lost in the choices that you have to make. But at the same time, it's not a linear path, right? At least from the bit that we've seen with the character trees, there's a lot of well-done design that's put into that. And you guys really feel like this is a passion project um, where you guys took the time to really build a system where you can do those things like, uh, you know, play the thing or kids on bikes or all these different genres. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? What made you guys, how did you guys go about finding that sweet spot in between those two different things? I think where you're describing kind of being between fake core and D&D &D is a really good way to describe where we were aiming because we've mm -hmm. got quite a broad experience with RPGs and we played a lot trying to fit and trying to figure out what was it exactly that we wanted to kind of make shiver tick and I think I agree with you that when you have something as loose as fate um, but as much as I love elements of that system it, it leaves it too open-ended there needs to be kind of clearer choice paths for um, players to have and then the other thing that we really didn't want to have at the far end is so much mechanical crunchiness and numerical complexity that players would look at our our game and look at the rule book and go ah oh no that's that's a bit too much for me get intimidated and close the book and yeah, walk away because we were designing for more entry-level players players who've maybe played one or two games of rpgs or no no rpgs at all we wanted to make sure that we didn't fall at either ends of those extremes because both of those extremes are like almost terrifying to play because either you have so much choice that you're paralyzed by um, not knowing what to do but at the other end you, you're reading uh, a wedge of rules trying to understand what you're supposed to be doing and it was trying to find the balance that was enough rules to feel like there was structure but not so much that it brought away from the narrative aspect or the the easy to play and pick up um, nature of the game yeah that makes sense I, I think I'm always stuck being a game manager a dungeon master however you want to talk about that and um I, getting people into things like D&D, &D, it's, it's frustrating when you have to take like 10 to 15 minutes to explain to somebody how to take their turn or what an action looks like. And with this, especially with the dice set that you guys put together, um, does that in a really eloquent way where it's, it's just the two different types of dice and then the math is easy and simple. You don't have to walk people through like this action does this and blah, blah, blah. But at the other end of that spectrum, right, this is so beginner friendly but the other end of the spectrum is like me as a game master, the way that you've designed this, I have a lot of room to really put my own spin on it, my own flavor on the other end of it, right? I can, uh, when we get the full set out, obviously in, in PDF or physical copy, we can dig into this more, but I feel like the game master has so much room to play with that uh, system and build your own, you know, 
awesome villains and your own set pieces and all this uh, more so than some others might allow you that freedom. And yeah, I think you hit it right on the head when you said like, this is very beginner friendly, but it doesn't lose any of that depth that some of these other systems have uh, very well designed. Looking at the rule book. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say um, the, the, thank you, first of all, but on the GM kind of director's front for Game Masters, it was something that we were really heavily considering because I, I similarly had the same problem of being the Eter eternal games master trying to get people into games by running games for them. And what we found now we've put this in front of broader playtesters. Now you don't have a specific setting and you can play a story anytime, anywhere, any place. And as well, we've provided um, in the book more guidance on how do you actually tell a story? How do you structure a game for people? And really worked in taking the approach that players are going to be beginners, but also people running the game can be beginners too. And we really want to encourage new game masters, more people running games, and really diving into kind of that heavier storytelling aspect. And that's something we're really hoping for. It was the one of the well. really good things as well about basing the 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 genre and the theme of the game around pop culture and film and tv is that those stories are incredibly relatable and people can access them without having to have prior knowledge of 40 years of like fantasy lore they can just jump in and go i want to play this film and i want to be this character how do i do that and that's that's a really easy in for players as opposed to starting from completely nothing i mean as an example we had someone who hasn't really done much game mastering previously and what they basically did was take took a film that they loved they took from dust till dawn and put a different spin on it and then we played that out. And because they had that framework, that reference of um, popular culture that they could rely on and the system didn't blockade them from replicating any of the elements there, it meant that for a first game they were running in the system, they had a great time and they were actually a, a really good GM. Like They really, really enjoyed themselves. And I think that's where we're we're wanting to kind of get to is, is encouraging more people to cross from the player's side of the table to the GM side of the table a bit more quickly. Absolutely. And I think I think you touched on something important here, which is like the average person isn't going to know the intricacies of, you know, the D&D &D setting, right? They're not going to know Faerun or the Tiefling or any of this stuff, right? But if you were to say to the average person, do you want to play a horror game that's like it? Uh, do you want to play Stranger Things? They're going to connect to that a lot quicker than some of these more uh, fan bases that have been around for longer and have these, you know, very rigid rule sets to them. Yeah, I think you guys really did a good job with that. Um, so looking through the rulebook, it feels like you guys have drawn from a different, a bunch of different wells with your your uh, design here. I noticed the doom clock, which you guys have, and um, some other rule sets that I've seen before, but done in a different way. And I think that's really cool that you've took these things and really put a spin on them that feels all your own. So it's not like a carbon copy of anything else we've seen before. Um, what was your guys' inspiration for the rule sets? And did you draw from other wells and, and when you were making this more personal to how you guys wanted to see this look? I think from playing other games with a horror theme or some other RPGs, a couple that spring to mind um, were some of the Arkham Horror games uh, with the kind of clock counting down to a great old one popping through and murdering everybody um, or Blades in the Dark um, were kind of definitely there in the back of my mind but um, where the Doom Clock for us sat was it was a mixture of tension building and a pacing mechanic um, to one help 
kind of keep the tension up for players constantly, as well as provide consequence and um, kind of ammo for the uh, director, the GM running the game, in order to kind of move the story forwards and give themselves like big moments that they could use to push things forward. Um, I think really the big thing with the Doom Clock is is that compared to the other examples I've seen across multiple games is that ours we've inherently tied to our dice system so the fact that every time a player rolls their pool of dice there is that chance that if they fail and they roll some strange it will have that consequence of ticking the doom clock up and bringing around about some terrible event um, that is going to push the story forwards and put them all the players in more peril and we found that that really makes just rolling your pool at any time more of a nail-biting experience for people um, which is really nice as we feel that the, there's the there's the old phrase that roll should be saved for tension, but we're finding that by having the doom clock rolling around in the background, it actually means that rolls create tension. And it also means that you get to we get to bake in other sort of value questions for players um, when they're playing the game of oh I've got this ability that lets me transform into this monstrous creature, but it comes at the cost of ticking up the clock or uh, I have a I have an ability that's maybe really powerful, but I can only use it once per sort of clock section to make sure that people are engaging with the pacing of the game and thinking about doing things that are for the good of the party and the story as well as what they would like to do. And it's kind of it's a an incentive towards that collaborative storytelling that we really want to encourage with Shiver. And then on the director's side, the kind of game master side, what the Doom Clock does is that it mimics um, film structure in the sense of like rising action and key beats in certain events so the yeah, one the example the example that i use in the book is for a slasher movie um for example so at quarter past somebody mysteriously disappears from the camp at half past the power goes out in the camp at quarter two somebody's cut the brake lines on your one escape vehicle and at midnight the slasher arrives jason Voorhees busts down the door and he's a permanent forever present threat that you have to deal with so it feel it makes it so people can't pause too long the action is always moving things forward so it kind of always keeps that pace generating kind of underneath but also acts as a resource um for whoever's running the game yeah and i think i it's it's i'm blanking on the name of the system but it's either gloom or dread or, or something with a name like that where they use Jenga tiles to that dread, extent. Dread, yeah. Yeah, we, dread. We, we, okay, we, yeah, we're big fans of dread. Yeah. So that that mechanic is great, and I think the fact that you put this in something physically that that they can see in front of them, right? Because it's easy to build narrative tension, but sometimes that always that doesn't stick with everybody, especially if you have people who are, you know, slightly less invested. Maybe they're checking their phone more often than you'd like. But having that physically there, where they can see the rising tension in the form of this clock, and they know that once it ticks at this different point it's going to trigger some action. Uh, I think that builds tension in a real way where some of these other things where you just talk about it, it might not have that same effect. So absolutely well done on that design process for sure. Um, let's let's take a shift over and start talking about some of the character design and the things that you guys did there. So um, Shiver has this cool mix between how you build with your archetype and then your background. Um, obviously you have things like personalized how you personalize your fears um, and the the GM can kind of use that and play with that a little bit as well. Um, just as a side note, 
I uh, I've I just discovered your guys' YouTube channel and I've been digging through that one shot that you guys did, and um, I was rolling and and some of the ways that you guys implemented the fears was great, um, but right now we know very little and and you guys have been giving us some sneak peeks behind the character creation and some of the different choices there, but obviously as the Kickstarter finishes and and we kind of roll into what it looks like afterwards, um, two things: one, how did you guys go about? designing these different character archetypes and two are there future uh expansions to that that you guys have considered that we might get even more archetypes down the road or maybe some different trees within these same archetypes uh how do you guys feel about that so the archetypes um kind of came from the want to design something where you could play in any setting and we sort of landed on this idea that the easiest way to have a game that works in any setting is you start with your characters first and have characters that appear in every story your strong warrior your smart scholar your charming socialite all of these sort of archetypal characters that you'd find from anywhere from greek myth to modern day um and that gives that really nice baseline of um, being able to have like a quite broad brushstroke starting point. And then what you can do from there is you can jump into different bits. So the backgrounds, for example, are great for that because they're they're quite specific in their, their narrative flavor. So um, the gentle giant is one of my favorites, um, which makes you better at speaking and like dealing with animals um but it makes you a pacifist so it makes you worse at fighting um especially if you're fighting humans or animals and it's kind of a a play from some famous films as that you might recognize um but those kind of backgrounds are really interesting because you can almost take your pick of your favorite films and we we can generate um backgrounds that are specifically tailored to be a character um but also within each of the archetypes, we have abilities for characters that they can delve into and take depending on how strong you want the characters to be um, that adds that bit of flavor. And that that was actually a really interesting part of the design process is trying to design abilities for characters that would translate across multiple genres. Yeah, so we, we, when we were designing the ability trees, one of the the ways that we kind of did it was by establishing that broad brush of the archetype, so we'll, we'll take the warrior, for example, we kind of started at the bottom of the tree and then started thinking, right, when I get to level 10, when I get to the kind of top end of one of the branches, who do I want that character to be? Um, who in popular culture would they represent? Um, would it be kind of a knight in shining armor? Would it be a kind of a tough kind of gritty goon type character that you'd see from like a noir film? And then we, we've had other ones where we'd be like, right, if we follow this tree up here, then yeah, we can play as Batman and go and punch Cthulhu, or we can we can we can play as the mad scientist and make our own kind of chemical vials and throw them at people and turn into a monster. It's that really was where character and characters that we wanted to play, characters that we'd seen in popular culture, were what led the design process rather than what we wanted to see mechanically it's what we wanted to see story-wise um and what we wanted to play as and then began to meld the mechanics in with that and began to meld that in with the abilities that, that was definitely true of the earlier playtest sessions where we had a very limited number of abilities and we'd see we'd play through the plot of some movie and a character would want to a player would want to bring a, a sort of attribute of a character that they'd 
baked into this story that we hadn't even thought of um so things like the mechanics to have a, a pet in the game we had we hadn't even considered until one of our playtesters was like I'd, I'd really like to have a dog in this game and we're like how have we not thought of that um and it's just awesome. it's, it's it's just and that was i think one of the really important things of the design process is we put it in front of players really early to find out what people actually wanted to play rather than kind of guessing and fumbling around in the dark my my personal favorite was when we realized i want to play benny from the mummy i want to play an absolute leech of a human someone who's really horrible and treacherous and that birthed what we called the cockroach path in the survivor tree which we're very excited to unveil um to people when we release the full game as that is a very it's one of my favorite branches in the game um to kind of go down as a player it's very fun that's such a cool character and and you guys keep talking about this, and I, I think circling back around to it is very important. It seems like you guys care more intimately about the stories that you want to tell and then designing the rule set to follow that rather than building the rule set and, and letting the stories happen. I think that like that's something that you don't see a lot, right? If you look at uh, anything that's powered by the apocalypse, it seems like they take the rule set and they're like, okay, how can I make this rule set fit my theme? And I love that the passion you guys put into this where you're like, no, we have a clear idea of like the direction that we want to go. And then the rule set will come later, right? We care more about the stories that we want to tell than making sure that the math all works out. And then you guys did make the math all work out. Um, And I think that's a a testimony to your design. Thanks. I think it's something we really wanted to flip the script on because as as much as I love D&D and other systems, when I've wanted to try and do something quite specific or do a specific genre spin um, in a certain system it is a lot of work it's a lot of mechanical crunching to try and shift something towards a way that you want to play that ultimately doesn't work that way so I think really what as you said that was our aim was to flip that design process and be right let's focus on the broad gamut of stories we want to tell and then provide that once we understand that and understand the themes that people are going to explore and the kind of areas of pop culture that people want to explore, then build a comprehensive toolkit underneath that that people can go wild with and yeah. tell any story. It's interesting as well because railroading comes uh, into conversations a lot when you're talking about RPGs in terms of story, but we don't usually right. talk a lot about how systems railroad you and how they want to play. And that, I think, is quite an interesting thing that we wanted to play with with Shiver is we don't want to force people's hand in how they take the system and play with it. We want to give people as, as much option as possible without it being overbearing. Yeah, and I, and I think... I wouldn't have done this interview. I wouldn't have stepped forward into this if this wasn't something that I really was excited about. And I've been thinking for some time about how do I do an RPG? How do I host a session? What system do I use to have something like um, there's the Nemesis board game and some of those hidden role board games where you don't know who's on your team and who's against you. And specifically, I love that idea of like being abandoned on an alien ship and you know you believe that everybody's on your side, but what if somebody isn't? And the value of a system like this is it is open-ended and allowing you to do those things and not being bogged down by the rule set. And so when I looked at Shiver, that's the first thing that came to mind is like um, the big popular thing right now is everybody's playing Among Us, right? How would you play Among Us in an RPG that exists today? And there isn't one, but I believe Shiver is the answer to that. Yeah, I think um, the great thing that we're noticing, another thing that we really wanted to move away from is this taboo in rpgs around character death which obviously when you're talking about among us 
and you're having people left, right, and center betraying one another and stabbing each other in the back, people are going to die. Like, characters are going to die. And I think also the encouragement of not everyone is a brave, strapping hero. People are cowards. People will vent people out of the airlock to save themselves. They will do terrible things. And it leads to these really great, tense, dramatic moments that are really fun. The first the first playtest of Shiver we ever did, we played with a six-person party, um, and two, oh, wow. of, two of the players... Uh, decided that this was too scary for them their characters did not want to be in the situation that they'd found themselves in and just ran away and uh the everything went wrong all of the other characters died and these guys just jumped on a boat and left <laughs> and it's That's it's those awesome. ki- it's those kind of stories that if you're playing a, a traditional rpg that that kind of stuff just doesn't happen um but especially with shiver where a lot of the stories that we tell uh, are played in a sort of one-shot nature, you get that ability to explore what would happen if your character just went, actually, you know what? I'm done with zombies and I'm out of here. Um, and you get to explore those ideas. And although we have played longer-form campaigns, I think one-shots is one of the way where areas that Shiver really shines in exploring those kind of ideas. I- I'm a strong believer as a designer in narrative finiteness. Um, so I know that for D&D, the campaign's gone for years and years, and I'm in a campaign currently that I've been playing for about a year and a half. But the thing is is that I feel like with stories of that length and that intensity, there is always that um, opportunity for people to burn out, for the story to fizzle out, for kind of conflict to die down and the tensions to die down. And with this, if you're kind of constantly thinking, like, is your character going to die? And focusing on like there is going to be a finite end to this, then and there also may be a finite end to me. Um, then it really helps drive the narrative and players forward. We find. Yeah, I think there's two things here. Quick, first is like this really lends itself to just a party, right? If you have people sitting around, you know, you're hanging out, having food, watching a show or whatever, you can pull this out and be like, hey, who wants to just run through a one shot with me, like? Uh, let's do a Friday the 13th one shot. And and I think this lends itself well to those sort of smaller atmospheres. And then the second thing is like what you touched on here with having a character like Benny from The Mummy, right? I don't want to play that character in D&D because if I'm doing that for a year and a half, that's extremely exhausting. Now, doing that for one or two sessions for a one shot is like exactly what I want to be doing. Like that sounds highly interesting to me. So yeah, absolutely well done in, in making this that sort of more bite-sized and, and finite thing. And and I think that lends itself well to stress and building tension as well. Where like in D and D, if I'm were to lose my character, that's obviously a very heavy thing. But like I do everything that I can to make sure that that's not going to happen. But in something like Shiver, like that brings a level of, of excitement and tension to it in a way that. Uh, you wouldn't get somewhere else. I think the one thing we'd like to stress is that although um, we enjoy playing one-shots and it is designed mm-hmm. um, with kind of more finite stories in mind, that there is room to play longer stories. We've we've tested that and played a long-form campaign. That was really, really interesting. And we found that actually, because I'm from a film and TV background, that right. when, then when, when we're approaching the one-shots, it's more like approaching a, a movie, like an actual horror film. Then when we're approaching a long-form campaign, it starts to format like TV. 
So people people can die in an episode, but then a new in, a character, new side character gets introduced and joins the group, helps solve a mystery, maybe disappears from the sidelines. So we find it's really good in that sense that the the TV format, as it were, the episodic format, allows players to jump in and out with a lot more flexibility, which we know is also something that larger uh, parties struggle with. It's the worst thing about the weekly game. There's always somebody that can't make it. And if, you, if you're playing in that kind of episodic format, it's it's so much easier for people to drop in and out. And Yeah, I think there's some flavor to like doing a campaign or, or something that's, you know, the monster of the week and these shows like Buffy or even, you know, a Stranger Things on the tabletop where you have uh, every episode is something new and exciting. And it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't matter if, you know, Jimmy can't make it this week. It's still, you know, bake it into the story for that week. Yeah, it's like Jim, Jimmy's got chicken pox, so he his mum won't let him come out to play kind of thing. You can narratively work it in really easily. I don't know if you guys would be familiar with this, but there's a, a video game called Blackout Club which is these kids start of exploring their neighborhood and there's a there's a spiritual entity or something that they can only see when they close their eyes in the video game and they're trying to like free their parents and everybody from mind control and it's very like kids on bike style and um i have not gotten the guys to play that game yet i've been ragging on them for i think a year and a (laughs) half now but i think introducing them to this system and saying like okay we're sitting down and we're solving the mystery of what's going on with our parents in this neighborhood and i think this lends itself well to those those sort of things um the second part of that question that i touched on earlier obviously we've seen a little bit of how the characters are going to be built and some of the different trees that you can go down i think as of yesterday recording this you guys put up a picture of i want to say the fool tree and what that looks like is that correct okay so that looks absolutely great um, and we're going to get obviously more of that when it, when it releases, but are you guys hopeful for supplements down the line or is it, Hey, once we do this Kickstarter, uh, this is kind of it and we're going to work on a different project. Yeah, absolutely. We've, uh, we've already started planning what we want to do next. We've got quite a lot of, um, really exciting avenues we'd like to explore in terms of maybe some more genre specific support so obviously we've got really broad brushstroke um sort of abilities and archetypes at the moment but looking at maybe okay i want to play specifically a gothic horror setting um and what the tool what's the toolbox that i need for that what kind of characters are going to pop up in those stories what kind of enemies are going to pop up in those stories um what kind of guidance can we give people on the narrative tropes around that genre so we've got some some ideas like that um for digging deeper into specific genres but we've also got some ideas um with more um succinct story worlds as well um sort of teaching genres through a specific story or specific world as well that makes sense and i i think that touches well into what i wanted to talk about next which is like um if you were to go to the kickstarter right now there's the different levels that you can hit and the thing that interested me is beyond the regular corset you guys also offer the cursed library which has these different stories within it you know it's almost like a uh, campaign guidebook or whatever for these different genres or different one shots that you have can you talk more on that because i am absolutely fascinated by what you've got in there so the cursed library the idea was was to really emphasize the fact that you can play any story anywhere as anyone so we 
started out with our kind of our ba- our two base stories were All Hallows Eve, which is very much 1980s kind of kids on bikes exploring a mm-hmm. spooky haunted house, and then we have um, The Lost Ship, which is a frosty Arctic adventure um, with a kind of military group trying to find a lost research vessel beyond the Arctic Circle. And that is very much a love lo- love letter to John Carpenter's The Thing and stories kind of of those nature. Um, but beyond that now, with our stretch goals, we're unlocking other areas and other kind of subgenres to jump into. We've got Protocol, which is exploring um, kind of sci-fi um, horror, more in the alien vein. And then we've also got Dark Prospects, which is in one of my favourite settings of kind of the Weird West, of the kind of slightly spooky uh, kind of cowboys and and weird things lurking in caves and mines. Yeah, but then we've also got all the stretch goals that we're kind of giving us way as well for like the the more niche areas of horror that we find really interesting that maybe didn't warrant a huge uh, like full blown story, but enough to give give players like a real taste of like what they could do with it so we've got a like a folk folklore horror story in our escape bog stretch goal that's uh, all about fairies in ireland uh we've also got some specific sort of slasher case files like giggles the clown that have like his creepy joke book ideas for his lair like and, and playing with that idea as well the cursed library is there and the stretch goals as well to be this is the smorgasbord of different subgenre types and areas of pop culture that you can dip your toe in, um, that wherever you feel most comfortable, but also kind of opening people up to other areas they may never have thought of. Like they may never thought of horror in the Wild West before, or putting it on a spaceship, or putting it in the past, or, or kind of doing something in the present right now, or the 1980s. And it's just really there to kind of help us show off the system, but also provide a bit of a litmus test as well for. There's so much that can be done with the system. We're really interested to see, for one, what stuff, um, what stories people really gravitate towards, um, kind of in the largest number, but also what the community eventually um, starts to create, what stories they want to tell um, using this system. Yeah, I think it's really a testimony to the flexibility of this sort of thing where um, just in the interview process, you know, this short time that we've been talking, I've I've created like lists and lists of things I want to do with this system <laughs> and different genres that I want to take it into. So yeah, absolutely well done. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys plug uh, where we can find the Kickstarter for this, what different socials you have, um, talk about the different pledges and just give you guys time to really promote as much of Shiver as you can. Thanks very much. So um, you can find Shiver on Kickstarter right now. Um, We have had an absolute blast over the past sort of week or so. We funded in, uh, I think it was just over 12 hours, um, which was absolutely incredible. The the response has been really, really great. Um, We've got a few different tiers that people can back at, um, starting at £15 for a PDF copy of the book, um, £30 for a physical copy of the book, £59 gets you um, the main book, the Cursed Library, and a set of dice, and then £79, which is it's about $100, gets you absolutely everything that we're producing on this first Kickstarter, which is three books, the core book, the Cursed Library, and our art book. Um, if you are big into the art and the sort of graphic style, that goes into our method behind how we created the art style of Shiver uh, and has some other exclusive drawings and stuff that we didn't include in some of the books um, for, for people that really like that aesthetic part of the game. 
uh, you also get in that a dice pack and a GM screen. So that's that's kind of like your all in. Give me all of the all of the stuff I can possibly have to start playing this game. Pledge. Um, in terms of social media, you can follow us on Facebook at Shiva RPG. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Games Parable. Um, we have a website as well, which is ShivaRPG.com, where players can find character sheets. Um, the dice rolling app for the game so if you don't have physical dice to hand you can you can play digitally um, there's also links on there to download the quick start guide um, which you can also find on the kickstarter page um, our social media we're actually doing some stretch goals at the moment um, just to do with social media so for everybody that shares the project and follows us on facebook that's going to help us unlock more stuff in our corporate risers campaign which is the cool uh, sort of corporate horror campaign that we've written that's in the back of the quick start guide for people to start playing the game with so currently we've already unlocked um even before the kickstarter launched um we unlocked a new floor um within the hollow the kind of underground research facility where it takes place we also have uh, unlocked a new enemy type called the bowel zombie that has been eating a load of toxic ooze and likes to spit it at people and we've unlocked a bunch of um, weapons, which is all around how can you turn office supplies into some zombie mashing goodies. So one of my favourites is um, taking water coolers and turning them into basically boxing gloves to punch zombies. Um, so, and it's, so we've got endless amounts of kind of mad stuff to be adding in and expand that setting um, that we're really excited to share with people. Um, so that's what lies beyond kind of in the stretch goals is more stuff for expanding uh the, that quick start adventure yeah and then we've also got more stretch goals in uh planned in for the main campaign either expanding the cursed library or adding a, a, in initial supplements um we're also going to be announcing some stuff uh next week uh that we haven't shown anyone yet which is going to be super exciting i just to add this real quick um because i'm, I'm scrolling through the kickstarter as you're talking about this uh the the gm screen is that the clock at the top of the? Yeah. So the the GM screen was going to come with a like a tracking clip that you can use to show your players where on the clock they are. That's great. Well, um, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, we absolutely appreciate this, guys. Please, if you've listened to this and you're not excited about Shiver, something's clearly wrong with you. Um, <laughs> but for those of you who are listening, please go check them out. Uh, the Kickstarter is great. They're rolling through this. Uh, incredibly fast which is awesome um the links will be down below in our episode description thank you guys so much for listening uh charlie um barney thank you guys so much for joining me uh any last words before we go here uh thanks very much for having us um and thank you for saying so many nice things about our game we we look forward to seeing you play it and see what you guys come up with thank you very much we really look forward to hearing all of your spooky stories all right guys this has been the infinity bros podcast we love you 3000 bye Thanks for tuning in to the Infinity Bros Podcast. You can find the Infinity Bros on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Infinity Bros. Feel free to send listener feedback via email at infinitybrospodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>